From the Free Speech Project at Georgetown University, this is Speaking Freely. I'm Sanford Unger with part three of a special series about free speech in the era of the novel coronavirus pandemic. In part three of our series, we report on the tensions between public health and freedom of religion. In the winter of 2020, the novel coronavirus began spreading across the country. Lockdowns were ordered by many state and local governments, virtually shutting down the economy. Office buildings were closed, and people began telecommuting. Schools, gyms, restaurants, and movie theaters shut their doors. Many places also banned or limited religious services, even in houses of worship. The United States is not totally alone in this. Other countries have had different experiences. But I do think that here in, in the United States, we've, we've had a much more sort of contentious conversation around this issue than, than we've seen in other countries. Tom Jelton covers religion for NPR. Some religious leaders in the United States cried foul, claiming that shutting down churches, synagogues, and mosques is a violation of the First Amendment guarantee of religious freedom. Obviously, when you have a genuine emergency that threatens public health, and they want to shut everything down, well, then churches ought to be treated just as strictly as other entities. Steve Crampton is an attorney representing a Mississippi church in the middle of the political battle between public health and religion. On March 18th, California became the first state to issue a stay-at-home order. President Trump advised people to avoid gatherings of more than 10 people and to maintain social distancing. But that didn't last long. Easter's a very special day for me. Just a week later, the president changed his tune and announced that he wanted the economy up and running again by Easter Sunday. That was less than three weeks away. The economy was in free fall. Millions of people were suddenly out of work. And the nation watched in horror as New York became the epicenter of the pandemic. President Trump began to worry about his prospects for re-election in November. And his focus was on getting the economy and the country back on track. Here he is on Fox News. And I say, wouldn't it be great to have all of the churches full? You know, the churches aren't allowed, essentially, to have much of a congregation there. And most of them, I watched on Sunday, online. And he was terrific, by the way. But online is never going to be like being there. So I think Easter Sunday, and you'll have packed churches all over our country. I think it would be a beautiful time. Holly Springs, Mississippi is a town of about 7,500 people, located an hour southeast of Memphis, Tennessee. Like many other places, Holly Springs banned church services during the pandemic. So on Easter Sunday, the first Pentecostal church there intended to hold a drive-in service in the parking lot. However, the weather was bad, so they moved indoors, which violated the city's ban. Police broke up the Easter service. Ten days later, police returned to the church to break up a Bible study group. They also issued a citation to the church's pastor, Jerry Waldrop. First Pentecostal sued Holly Springs in federal court, claiming the ban on church meetings violated the First Amendment and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. On April 24th, a federal judge ruled that the church could hold drive-in services. But First Pentecostal was adamant. Its members wanted to worship inside the church. 
Again, the church asked a federal court to prevent Holly Springs from banning indoor services. The court refused. In his ruling, the judge accused the church of being excessively reckless and cavalier, given the health crisis presented by the pandemic. The church appealed the ruling to the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which granted a temporary injunction allowing indoor services. Steve Crampton works with the Thomas More Society, a conservative public interest law firm, and he's senior counsel for the Pentecostal Church case. He argues that Waldrop is being singled out, even after the church won in the appeals court. There's a real disconnect between the formal prohibition that Pastor Waldrop is said to have violated and what the law really is on that matter, which again gives rise to our concern that there's really, um, I think, a veiled hostility against our church in particular and this pastor in the continuation of that charge. Crampton goes on to quote the controversial early 20th century British social critic and writer G.K. Chesterton. Once abolish the God, and the government becomes the God. Crampton fears that people may come to rely too much on government aid, which, he says, can actually lead to an erosion of some freedoms. Our founders were very wise in erecting a government meant to ensure the freedoms of all people. In many respects, religious freedom is the root. Political freedom is the fruit. And so when we have people that have lost that recognition and respect for religion, I think we're at risk of losing all of our freedoms. Whether you believe in church going or not, you are playing with fire, no pun intended, when you attack the churches. NPR religion correspondent Tom Jelton says that conservative groups such as evangelical Christians, Catholics, and Orthodox Jews have raised the biggest objections to restrictions. He says many religious conservatives view some of mainstream culture as hostile to their values. You see this around, uh, not just around abortion, which is a long-standing concern, but around um, LGBTQ rights, uh, same-sex marriage. They have felt for a long time that to the extent the government is sort of mandating policies uh, in these areas, they are challenging their own, government is challenging their own values. So the background to this pandemic among evangelical Christians is increased um, resentment of government authority, uh, increased suspicion of governments. Despite their lack of trust in government, Jelton says this hostility to the shutdown orders is misplaced. They haven't come from politicians. They haven't come from liberals. They haven't come from the opposition, the cultural opposition. I mean, they are... These mandates are coming from public health officials, and these public health officials are citing science. They're citing health concerns. Jelton notes that evangelicals tend to be more individualistic and less trusting of community, society, and the government. They very much see their mission as being one of changing people's individual hearts. And so with that kind of individualistic worldview, I think that too explains why They just don't like to be lectured to. They don't like to be dictated to. They really just instinctively sort of push back against any kind of demands on their behavior or or lifestyle. The Trump administration has voiced support for these views. Vice President Mike Pence, who identifies himself as an evangelical, 
is largely seen as Trump's bridge to that community. At two rallies in June, the president's campaign ignored its own task force recommendations by holding indoor events, not requiring participants to wear face masks, and packing the crowd in tight rather than social distancing. Pence, head of the president's coronavirus task force, was asked about the rallies at a press conference. I want to remind you again that the freedom of speech and the right to peaceably assemble is enshrined in the Constitution of the United States. Uh, And even in a health crisis, the American people don't forfeit our constitutional rights. However, the Republican governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, and Holly Springs Mayor Kelvin Buck, a Democrat, offered a different view. In an email sent to the Free Speech Project by Mayor Buck's office, the mayor and the governor say, quote, The freedom of worship should not be the freedom to transmit COVID-19 to your congregation and neighbors, unquote. They note that a number of considerations go into deciding when and how to reopen places of worship. Things like the number of elderly people attending services, as well as how many disabled and immunocompromised people are in any congregation. NPR's Tom Jelton does note, however, that there have been inconsistencies in shutdown orders implemented around the country. There's been concerns raised about um, restaurants and bars in some states. There was more leniency given to restaurants and bars reopening than to churches. So I think some church leaders understandably felt that there was a little bit of a double standard where they were concerned, that they were being subject to more restrictive mandates than other institutions. I think there is an argument that churches are unique, that they present some unique risks that other places don't. So the public health officials and governors and mayors who were insisting on these more restrictive policies for churches did have some strong arguments on their side. Here you have, by means of this COVID-19 pandemic threat, a situation where the so-called emergency has basically been extended over a period of now five or six months. Again, Steve Crampton, the attorney for the First Pentecostal Church. So you've got the state governors that are just issuing orders and really criminalizing behavior. For instance, opening a restaurant that they otherwise would have no power to criminalize but they're doing this on an ongoing basis, again, picking and choosing which businesses, which nonprofits and entities, ministries can open and which cannot, and acting very much like a monarchy or something as distinct from a constitutional republic. And so that also strikes at the heart of our form of government. And we see these cases, like the Holly Springs case, as really integral to preserving our freedoms across the board. Vera Edelman is a staff attorney with the ACLU. She believes that courts may uphold limits on mass assemblies as long as they're justified by scientific evidence. I think it is possible that courts will uphold those as reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions and as necessary for the public health. That said, we certainly are on the lookout for any content-based distinctions, and that includes some orders that have allowed, for example, religious worship actually to continue while protest is more limited.
As the pandemic continued to spread in the spring of 2020, state and local governments issued lockdown orders. Craig Byerline is a sociology professor and head of the Center for the Study of Religion and Society at the University of Notre Dame. In an op-ed in USA Today, Byerline and a co-author wrote that a majority of Americans believed that public health restrictions were justified. Byerline said they'd conducted a series of surveys over the course of 2020, both before and after the pandemic began. In the pre-pandemic survey, 55% of those polled said they personally cared about freedom of religion. But Byerline said he was surprised at what he learned in a later poll, taken in March and April, as COVID-19 killed thousands in New York and New Jersey. The reason I was surprised is that I only, I think, I can look back at the data, only 9% of Americans thought that, like, churches should be open without any restrictions. I was just shocked by that. I mean, I was thinking the number would be much higher. On the one hand, you have people before the pandemic, the majority of Americans, you know, really personally concerned about this. But on the other, when it came down to it, the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of people that were really, you know, wanting churches to be open. A North Mississippi congregation is without its church building as authorities investigate a possible... Thanks for joining us. We have learned that same church was at the center of a lawsuit during stay-at-home orders due to COVID-19. Local 24 News In May, more than a month after First Pentecostal sued the city, the church was destroyed in a fire believed to be set by arsonists. After the fire, First Pentecostal continued to appeal the federal ruling that had barred them from in-church services. Holly Springs argued that the case should be dismissed now that the church had been burned down. But the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals rejected the city's position, which pleased church attorney Steve Crampton. One of the things that I think we're facing here is this kind of outworking of something that I think has been developing for some time, namely an increasing hostility against religion. And, you know, you've got uh, uh, our church being firebombed and then the spray-painted message, bet you stay home now, you hypocrites, right? First Pentecostal believes the city is imposing a higher standard on churches than on businesses. And Crampton sees a double standard locally and nationally. And at the same time, you got thousands out there on the streets. They're telling the churches, you can't come in without, you know, with more than 10 people. And the court rightly said, hold on, guys. You just can't have it both ways. In June, religious groups were handed a victory when a federal judge in New York ruled that the state could not limit religious services to 25 percent capacity while allowing retail stores and other businesses to operate at 50 percent. The judge also ordered New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to relax the limit on how many worshipers may attend outdoor services. While some religious communities have claimed they face unfair restrictions, others have seen opportunities for change. Many faith leaders have expanded their online presence during the pandemic, holding virtual services to reach people in their homes. Again, Tom Jelton. I did a story about a church where there was drive-through worship as opposed to drive-in, whereas there were, the pastors would be out in the parking lot and people would come one at a time. They wouldn't make appointments, but they would come in a, in a line and the pastors would sort of meet with them personally, individually, at a distance, 
that gave a real sort of one-to-one experience between the worshiper and the pastor that many found very meaningful and it didn't involve any risk for either the worshiper or the pastor. Tom Jelton covers religion for NPR. Coming up on episode four. This is a matter of life or death. If people can be really harmed, if you if you are telling people to go drink bleach, you know, that is going to harm them and they don't want that kind of information spreading. Social media and free speech in the final part of this pandemic series. Thank you for listening to Speaking Freely from the Free Speech Project at Georgetown University. This podcast was written and produced by Connor Thomas. Our executive producer is Maya Gandhi, and our editor is John O'Golnick. You can find us on most major podcast platforms, and we'd appreciate it if you'd listen and subscribe. To learn more about our project's work, check us out at freespeechproject.georgetown.edu. That's freespeechproject.georgetown.edu. I'm Sanford Unger.